Wonderful to see you here this morning. We're doing a series on Christ, the doctrine of Christ. And when I say the doctrine of Christ, I don't mean just the teachings of Christ. I'm talking about the doctrine of the person of Jesus Christ, who and what he was and is. And we started it last week. If you happen to miss that one, you can look at it on the YouTube channel or put it up on our website. But uh, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. We're going sp- to be spending a few weeks on Sunday mornings on this topic. I'm not sure how many more weeks we'll go, but uh, it's such a, an amazing topic that I certainly don't feel worthy to be the one standing here teaching it. But we are going to go to the Word of God, of course. We're going to go to the Scriptures, and we're going we're gonna to glean from that. What, what the Lord would have us to glean from it in this study. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. So after basically 400 years of uh, at least no written messages from God to man, that period between the end of Malachi, when it was spoken of the last few verses, talk about the coming of John the Baptist in Malachi, about 400 years later, this is what we're going to read here, the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, read with me in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, or in this manner, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Skip down to verse 20. But while he, that's Joseph, thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Okay, we know that story. We just celebrated uh, Christmas a few weeks ago. But we're doing our study on Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about the deity of Christ, him being the Son of God. Jesus Christ is called in the Scriptures Son of God, the Son of God, and he's called the Son of Man. He called himself the Son of Man. Others addressed him as a man and so forth. And we're going to look at this. We're, all through this study, however many weeks we go on this, this topic, on, on Christ, we're going we're gonna to keep reminding and bringing back to the forefront the deity of Christ. I think it's so important to remember that. So I hope you don't get uh, tired of me saying that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. He was God in the flesh. And so how, how, could, how could any individual, and we're speaking about Jesus right here, how could he be both the Son of God and the Son of Man? How is that possible. And you, we might even ask the question, why was it necessary? Why was it necessary for him to be both the Son of God and the Son of Man? I want to read this scripture. Uh, I'm going to give a lot of scriptures. I'll tell you where this one comes from. This would be one of the, one of the key scriptures through this whole study. is 1 Timothy 3.16. I'll go ahead and read it, but that's what I'm, what I'm quoting from. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So I have to ask the question. He says, God was manifest in the flesh. 
This is a basic of Christianity. This is Christianity 101, but it needs to be preached, and it needs to be taught, and it needs to be believed upon in the world. Amen? We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. And so here's one of the scriptures, and I would ask the question I ask myself when I'm studying. I said, but the scripture says in 1 Timothy 3.16, God was manifest in the flesh. So I ask, who was manifest in the flesh? God. God was manifest in the flesh. So in that flesh of Jesus Christ, in his, when he walked on this earth, that was God. That wasn't another good man sent from God like John the Baptist or so many other wonderful prophets, and prophets of God. And I thank the Lord for them. But he was not one of those. He was God in the flesh. And then you say, how was God manifest? So I'll flip it around. God was manifest in the flesh. Who was manifest? God. How was God manifest in the flesh? Okay, in the flesh. And so <clears throat> he was a man. He was the son of God, and he was and is the son of man. We know the scripture where John, I said Gospel of John would go to his, his scriptures, uh, his gospel and other writings more than any of the others probably because John w was written, it, evidently, I know it was written uh, uh, many years after the other three gospels, and it's different than the other gospels. It's not contrary to the other gospels. That's important to know. They don't contradict one another, but it's different in the sense that John, uh, by the Holy Ghost, is magnifying Jesus as being God in the flesh. More than the other Gospels, they all, they all have it in them, but his more, much more than the others. And so in John 1.14, where it says, uh, and the Word was made flesh. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. So we got that established. Who was the Word? The Word was God. In the beginning, with God and was God. He made all things. Then we get down a few scriptures later. And that same word, who was God and with God, was, man, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. These scriptures, that's John 1.14. These would be key scriptures if you want to build a teaching, a doctrine for yourself. Or to share with others. Or to go back and look at it some other time. These are key scriptures that we have and that we believe. And so when Jesus was on this earth, he was the long-awaited, he came as the long-awaited Messiah. Remember last week we talked about Jesus had this wonderful encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well, the middle of the day. And they're sitting at Jacob's well, and he begins to speak to her. And she says, well, we know that when Messiah is come, which is called Christ, he he will tell us all things. We know when he's coming. He's Messiah. He's the Christ. And he's going to tell us all things. And Jesus said, you're right. He's going to come someday. And won't that be wonderful? No, what did Jesus say to her? I that speaketh unto you am he. So he claimed to be. He claimed to be that Messiah. He claimed to be the Christ. He claimed to be. He was and is. He was the Son of God, and He was the Son of Man. We focused mostly last week on Him being the Son of God in His deity, okay? We're going to look more this week about Him being the Son of Man. And if there's one thing that we got from this lesson today that I believe the Lord would have us to have, He was both. He's the Son of God and the Son of Man, but He was not the Son of sinful man. That is so important that we grasp that. It's a truth that we all know. But the, it, he was not the son of sinful man. Jesus Christ, when he came to this earth, 
the Word was made flesh, okay, and dwelt among us. When he came as a man, he was already the eternal Son in eternity past. He came as a man, okay, but he did not come as a sinful man. He did not come as part of Adam's seed or Adam's race. Y'all understand that. that what Adam and the seed of Adam and the nature of Adam had no, no part in Jesus being incarnate in the flesh. No part. That's important to grasp that and know that. And so, and um, I'll just give this scripture from 1 Corinthians. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Isn't that a good scripture? 1 Corinthians 15, 47. The first man, that's Adam. The first man. As in Adam, all die, right? Because in Adam, all have sinned, and we've all sinned, and we all die in Adam because the wages of sin is death. So just being a child of Adam, the whole race of mankind, man, woman, and child, are sinners. We're born in sin, and the Bible says we commit sins. We're born with a sin nature, and we practice and commit sins. All, okay? But it says the first man, that's Adam, was of the earth, earthy. And even in a physical sense, the Lord formed him out of the dust of the ground and breathed in his breast, nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. He sinned, and we're all descendants of Adam, so we've all sinned in Adam with that sin nature, Okay? He says that first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Who's the second man? It's Jesus Christ. There's two races of men, you could say. There's a race of Adam, which every man, woman, and child is of. And there's the race of Jesus Christ, which we're born again. And we, we're, as children of Adam, we can be born again and have a new life and have the na nature of Christ. Okay? But the second man is the Lord from heaven. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. So the angel Gabriel is speaking to Mary. We read a little bit in, in Matthew. We're going to read in Luke chapter 1. Let's read verses 30 through 35. And the angel said unto her, it's basically the same, same account as what we read in Matthew, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found much favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. There he's the Son of God. And the Lord God shall give him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. How's that possible? How can anybody reign over any kingdom forever? Think about some kings in the Old Testament that reigned a long time like Uzziah and or, or uh, Hezekiah, and some of these kings that lived and reigned, some of them 50 years and so forth. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary, probably what any of us would have said unto the angel, how shall this be, saying, I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Okay, so we're having something that's never happened before. This never happened before. There were people that were born in a miraculous sense. Uh, John the Baptist, you know, his, his mother Elizabeth was barren, and he and uh, Zacharias, she and Zacharias had never had a child, even in their old age. You could say the birth of, of uh, 
of Isaac was miraculous in the same sense. There are people that were the names were given before they were born, like John the Baptist and so forth. But there never been anything like this. Okay, the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. She was going to conceive, but she wasn't going to conceive from a, a normal manner. Uh, this was going to be supernatural. It was going to be of the Lord. And so Jesus said later in his life in John 8, 23, Jesus said unto them, you, you are from beneath. I am from above. Ye are of this world. I am not of this world. No other man could ever say that, okay? He's literally saying, you're from beneath. You're a child of Adam. You're just from this earth, you know? I am from above. Ye are from of this world. You're of this world. I am not of this world. He was never at any point of this world, though he did become flesh and dwell among us. Of, to me, speaks of origin. As of, he's of his father. He's of heaven. He's from heaven. He had nothing to do with this world in the, other than he came to live like one of us and to die for our sins. He had no... Uh, uh, nature of Adam at all in him. And it's so important that we believe. So how, how could Jesus be sinless? In order, to be, uh, in order to be our Savior, he had to be the Son of God and the Son of Man. He had to be both. He had to be born of a virgin. And so uh, I want to read this statement. You know, if, if you've ever looked at Cornerstone, this church's doctrinal statement, it's very conservative. It would be, um, for most part, we didn't invent it. It's very similar. We agree with it. Similar to a lot of other conservative churches. But the third statement on there, I'll, I'll get at least part of it right. We believe in the deity of Christ, in his virgin birth, in his, his uh, miracles, in his sinless life. Okay, and his death and bodily resurrection is soon one day to return. But so we believe that. This is a fundamental of what we believe. This defines us as it partly defines us as, as believers, and it defines us as, as a church, this body. We believe that. We believe that in the deity of Christ and in his virgin birth. You say, well, that's impossible. Well, it is impossible. But that's Aren't you glad that we believe in a God that can do the impossible? Doesn't he tell us in his word that he does the impossible? Don't we read accounts of Old Testament and New Testament, uh, Testament of things that are impossible that our God did? He saved you. That was impossible. He saved people you know that you think would never be saved. That's impossible. Okay? And in that same con conversation, if you look at verse 37, where he, the angel Gabriel is speaking to Mary... And he talks about Elizabeth, her cousin, having a son in her old age. Verse 37, for with God nothing shall be impossible. I say it all the time. We either believe it or we don't. And if I can believe one of the miracles, I can believe all of them. Because if I believe my God is a God of miracles, then I don't have to define what miracles he can and can't do. My God is a God of miracles. And if, if a virgin conceived, which she did, and brought forth a son, the son of God, on this earth, I believe that. I believe it. I believe in little miracles and big miracles and all different size because we believe in the God with whom nothing is impossible and for whom nothing is impossible. Amen? And so 
We, it's written in our doctrinal statement. You know the scripture. When was, when was a Savior promised? A Savior was promised as soon as man sinned. When did man, man sin? In the garden. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Eve was beguiled or tricked, deceived, and disobeyed the Lord. Adam willingly just sinned and took of it and ate. So here comes the Lord. Adam, where are you? And he was hiding himself because he was afraid and he was naked. Hiding himself in the garden. And the Lord brings these consecutive judgments on the man, on the woman, on the devil, on the serpent. He said to the serpent, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head. I know you've heard this before, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The word bruise, when it says this, the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent, that is a different word. It means to crush. It literally is a different word, okay? And thou shalt bruise his heel. The devil would bring buffetings against the Lord and smite him in certain ways. It was all within the will of God. But Jesus would crush the serpent's head. Head is where the power is, right? Where the, crush the head of the serpent. And so when was the Savior promised? That was the Savior that was promised that would crush the head of the serpent. As soon as there was a need, the, servant was, the, the, the uh, coming Messiah was promised, okay? But he actually was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, even before that moment. The point is that it was prophesied that Jesus would come. We don't have a time to look at all the scriptures. There's so many. I'm talking about his first coming as the son of man in the little manger in Bethlehem as a babe. The scriptures foretold. Uh, it's already been quoted in Matthew, and we read it in, in Luke as well, that a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a, a, a son, right? His name shall be called Emmanuel, being interpreted God with us. That's, that's a scripture from about 750 years before Jesus came in Isaiah 7.14. We all know the scripture in Isaiah 9.6. This goes with our study. 750 to 800 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Behold, uh, it says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And I love this part. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And I know it, it's just hard, and I say it, and I'm redundant, but I'm praying this, this sinks in to all of us. The child that would be born would be the Mighty God. Not a good man sent from God. Not the best of men, but God in the flesh. The Everlasting Father. The Son is going to be called the Everlasting Father. I don't even understand it perfectly. There is one God in three persons. We don't worship three gods. We worship one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. There is a Godhead, and the Godhead is one. Amen? So we get to, to Galatians chapter 4, and it says, But when the fullness of time was come, fullness of time just simply means God's timetable, His plan. It was full. It was time. It wasn't time a day before or a hundred years before. It was time when he came. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God sent forth his son made of a woman. She did conceive. That's what the Bible says. You're going to conceive and bring forth the son. But it's not a seed of Adam. It's a seed of God. The Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. It's a miracle. We say it's bizarre, and it's a miracle, and it's all of those things, and thank God for it. 
was made of a woman, made under the law. Jesus was already the eternal son. He didn't come to, into being in a manger 2,000 years ago. He is the eternal son with, with the father in eternity past. Amen. In order to be our savior, he had to be sinless. You understand that? I know that you do. In order to be our savior or anyone's savior, he had to be sinless. And in order for him to be sinless, he had to be born of a virgin. Who would think of these things but God? In order for him to be sinless, he had to be a virgin. The virgin birth is important, to put it mildly, is what we believe. We believe in the deity of Christ in his virgin birth, okay? In order for him to be sinless, he had to be born of a virgin. Our Redeemer from sin could not be merely a good man or the best of men. Because all in Adam, all have sinned, and in Adam, all die. Everybody of Adam's race is in the one level playing field in that sense. The best person you know and the worst person you know. We're all children of Adam. And nobody that's of Adam's race can save anybody else or themselves. We, he had to be sinless. In order to be sinless, he had to be born of a virgin. He had to have no trace of Adam's race. No trace of Adam's race. Totally separate. The second man is the Lord from heaven, as we read. He is the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He had to be spotless and blameless and perfect. And in order to do that, he had to be both the Son of God and sinless and the Son of Man. Okay, the Son of Man. And he had to be man in order to live among us. He had to be man in order to uh, bear our sins on his own body. He had to have a body, right? On, on the cross. And so the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he hath made him, so we've got to get our who's, who's talking about. He, the Father, hath made him, the Son, Jesus, sin for us, who knew no sin, because he never sinned, didn't have any nature of Adam, okay, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So God the Father hath taken his Son, Jesus, and made him sin for us, who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. He had to be sinless, and yet he became sin for us. He died for our sins. I want to read uh, a, a few sentences from this book. In so many ways, his full and perfect humanity is manifested. He was born a babe. We're looking at how was God actually man. Okay, not sinful man, but man. He was born a babe. He needed infant's clothing. He needed a mother's nursing and care. He spoke of himself as man. He was called man by others. He had the essential elements of human nature. He had a body. He had a soul. He was subject to the ordinary laws of human development. In other words, his body grew just like anybody else's body would grow over time. He was subject to human wants and needs and emotions and sufferings. He was man. And yet he was fully God. He wasn't, he wasn't in between. He was fully man and he was fully God. And again, great is the mystery of godliness. So it says in Hebrews 10.5, Wherefore, when he cometh, this is quoted from the Old Testament, into the world he saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. He, pre he was already alive and, and is 
and he became a man with a body, with a physical body. Now, I want to talk about this. Uh, here's a scripture, Romans 8, 3. You can turn there if you want to. We're going we're gonna to read quite a few more scriptures. For what the law could not do, because it could not do it, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be filled in, fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. One thing I want to point out, there's a lot of things we could, but for our study, that God sent forth his own son, verse 3, in the likeness of sinful flesh. You see that word likeness right there. He was not sent forth as sinful flesh the child of Adam, as a sinner, as with a sin nature. He was sent, God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. And by doing so, he condemned sin in his own flesh, okay? And so that word likeness of sinful flesh is important to our study because we're saying in order for him to be our savior, he had to be sinless, he had to be sinless. So he was made in the likeness of sinful flesh, which means likeness means a form, a resemblance, made like to, a similitude. Okay, that's the same exact word that we find in Philippians, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, in Philippians 2, when he says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the, in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. The likeness of men. It's the same word, resemblance. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Okay? So there we see God becoming flesh, but he wasn't sinful flesh. And I can't stress this enough. Sin, he wasn't, didn't become sinful flesh. He was uh, never had any part or nature of Adam's race in him at all. No, no part. And look at, uh, turn with me if you would, to Hebrews chapter 2. Look at verse 9. Hebrews 2, 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. What for? For the suffering of death. Today, the focus is him being the son of man. Never stopped being God. But he was made, okay, this certain in a man's body for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by grace, the grace of God, should taste death for every man. In his human body he died, and he tasted death for all men. Verse 14, for as much then as the children, that's us, are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So he became partaker of flesh, but not sinful flesh. Verse 16, for verily he took not on him the, the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him, or it was fitting for him, to be made like unto his brethren. That's the word there again, like. He was made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest 
in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. So there's a real purpose in, and we're going to talk about more about the ministry of Christ and probably next week and, and maybe the week after that even. But the ministry of Christ, the, the, the incarnation, that is God becoming flesh, okay? That, that's for a purpose, to taste death for all men, right? That he might save us from our sins. He became made like unto his brethren, but he wasn't sinful like his brethren. And so he claimed himself and proved to be the son of God. He claimed himself uh, the only begotten of the father. We talked about that last week, but he also called himself and the scriptures called him the son of man. So when Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi preaching and he was finished that day and he was just alone with his disciples, he said to them, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Many, many times. We're going to look at some of the scriptures. But who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So he identified himself as the son of man, but he's not the son of Adam. Okay? And, and you know the response? They said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And the Lord says, okay, who do you say that I am? And Jesus said, thou art the Christ. Just like the woman at the well says, when, when Christ the Messiah has come, he'll tell us all things. Jesus said, I'm him. Peter said, you're him. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And the Lord says, you're the Holy, my father, by the spirit of God, revealed this to you. It wasn't flesh and blood. But he called himself the son of man. And the Bible says, for there is one God and one God, one mediator between God and man, men, the man Christ Jesus. There's one God, and there's one mediator, a go-between, okay, between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Well, you know he's not a man in the sense that we think of a man, but he was a man. He had a human body. He was, he was conceived in, in Mary's womb by the Holy Ghost and lived as a man on this earth. There's a great is the mystery of godliness, amen? And so, I want to read some scriptures here. Just stay with me. These, you don't have to write these down. In all the Gospels, I had five times this many if I wanted them. You know, but, but for our sakes today, just listen. So there was a certain scribe that came to Jesus and said, Master, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. I don't think that man followed him anymore after that. In Matthew eleven nineteen, Jesus said, The Son of Man, they were saying this of Jesus, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, but they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, friend of publicans and sinners. Publicans and sinners. Wisdom is justified of his children. He's calling himself the cornfield. Okay? There were, the disciples were one day walking through the cornfields, and they were hungry. It was the Sabbath day. They were picking the corn as they went through, just enough to eat, getting in their hands and eating a little bit. Because they were hungry. Jesus didn't have a problem with it, okay? The certain of the scribes and Pharisees, uh, they accused him, saying, your, your disciples are not doing what's, they're doing what's wrong on the Sabbath day. Jesus said, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Just pulling out some Son of Man scriptures, okay? Certain of the scribes and Pharisees said, we will, Jesus, we want to see a sign from you. We want you to do a sign for us. Do some little trick for us so we'll believe. I think about this all the time. They would not have believed. How do you know that? I know they wouldn't have. 
they wouldn't have believed no matter what he did because they had already witnessed signs and miracles at his hands. They watched him raise Lazarus from the dead. Multitudes came from, none of this was done in a closet. None of it was done in secret. They saw the miracles of Jesus just like everybody else did. And they didn't believe it. Right then they said, show us a sign. He's not going to do that. He's not a little trained pony. You're going to do a trick for somebody because they want him to. He's the son of God. And he fulfilled all the prophecies, and he did the miracles, and he spoke the words, and he died, and he rose again. And they can believe, like anybody else can believe. Amen? He showed himself to be the Son of God. But they said, uh, Master, we would have desired a sign of thee. And Jesus said, there's not going to be an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. You don't seek after signs. We're told in the Bible, signs and wonders follow them that believe. The signs follow us. We don't follow after signs. Amen? He said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after sign. There should be no sign given but the sign of Jonah the prophet. What's the sign of Jonah the prophet? Well, he tells us, For as Jonah was three days and nights, three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man, there it is, the Son of Man be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. He called himself the Son of God. Amen. He was the Son of God. Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man shall come in his glory the glory of his Father with his angels, and he shall reward every man according to his work. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. One time the disciples were walking from one place to another, and as they were walking, Jesus heard them. They weren't talking to him, but they're arguing amongst themselves who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Can you imagine these wonderful disciples? Uh, and they're warning, no, I'm, I'm going to be the best. No, he took me up on the Mount Transfiguration. I'm going to be the best. You know, I'm, who's going to be the greatest? And so he's listening to them. And later he says, even the Son of Man, as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He came to serve. Luke 12, 8, also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man, man confess before the angels of God. Verse, uh, John 13, 3, 13, and 14. This is Jesus to Nicodemus. No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He referred himself to himself time and time again as the Son of Man. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He was not talking about eating his physical flesh. He explains it in that chapter, in that context. It's to believe upon him, to believe upon the Son of Man. Amen? But that's what he calls himself. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And we could just go on and on. I'll read one more. This is in the, new t in the book of Acts where Stephen was preaching the gospel and the angry Jews gnashed at him with their teeth and took stones and began to stone him. And Stephen said, Behold, this is why the stones are being hurled and why they're hitting him. Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. This is that same Jesus, okay? The angel said, why do you stand staring up in the sky? This same Jesus, which is gone, is going to come again in like manner. Who is that? That's the Son of Man. 
He's the Son of God, and He's the Son of Man. I'm going to be bringing this to a close, but Jesus came as the Son of Man. He, he didn't come detached from us. He didn't come at a distance and wouldn't quite touch us or get involved. He became a man and dwelt right among us. He got hungry. The Bible says when he, when he fasted 40 days and nights afterwards, he was hungry. Okay? Out of us, he would be tired. He would be, uh, like I always say it all the time, when they pulled the whiskers and the beard out of his face, it hurt. It bled. He became a man. He never stopped being God, but he became a man. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet what? Without sin. He had all the same. He wasn't enticed and lured and almost did it, committed the sin. He lived as a man. And, and he, all, the, all the temptations, the pride of life and so forth, all that was around him. And yet he was without sin. He was not unacquainted with man's weaknesses and infirmities and our needs. And he wasn't at a distance. When he came, became in the flesh, he came to be one of us and with us. Amen. You could say that he was all in. He was all in. He was all in when he came to this earth. So I'm going I'm to bring this to a close. But when we speak of Jesus being the son of man, we talked about he was, came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Likeness, the resemblance. So in that likeness, when we speak about him being the son of God, he was all God. Okay? No likeness or resemblance only. He was the exact representation. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Isn't that an amazing thing? Colossians 2.9. For in him dwells all the fullness, the fullness of the Godhead bodily in a body. He wasn't exact. Uh, just uh, in this resemblance of God. He was in the resemblance of man. He wasn't half man, half God. He wasn't uh, a man that came and possessed a human body. I mean, just think about these different things that you know, people might think. The Spirit of God possessed a human body that was already here or something like that, like a science fiction movie. He, he was all God and he was all man, but he wasn't of Adam's race at all. So I'm going to close this. I'm going to close with this thought because I want it to, to be something not only I'm praying that through this, I know we're looking at a lot of scriptures and this is more like a study. I understand that. It's more like a study. But this ought to build up our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If we'll lay hold on it, this ought to strengthen our faith in God and who we believe and why we believe he is who he is. Can I put my trust fully in this one? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. But I want to talk about the love of God just as we close this morning. Psalm 40, then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book as is written of me. And he says, lo, I, I delight to do thy will, O my God. That is a messianic psalm about Jesus, okay? I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. And just as, this is just me when I was studying this, okay? Studying all this, these scriptures about Son of God, Son of Man, God in the flesh, and all these things. And I thought, well, he had a will to do that. God has a will, okay? It's not my will that any perish, for example. God has a will. God the Father had to will to send his only Son, begotten Son. The Son had to will to, to humble himself and be found in fashion as a man and become a servant, and become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He had to will. He chose to do this. 
Nobody made him and twisted his arm and made him do it. Our Lord did this, and he chose to do it. He, he delights to do the will of the Father, and in the will of the Father, he came, became a man and lived. Why would you leave heaven to become a man? Why would you live and contain yourself in a physical, frail body that people are going to drive nails through? And spit upon and pull your beard out and not going to believe in you in the first place. Came unto his own, his own received him not. He chose to do it of his great love wherewith he loved us. It was his delight to do the will of his Father. In every place, every moment, every word, every action, everything about Jesus' life was in the perfect will of his Father. Amen. Then said Jesus unto them, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus said, uh, that he does only, only the things he sees his father doing. Only says the words he heard his father saying. When, when Jesus was with the woman at the well, and I'm closing, that uh, his disciples had been away and they were going out to get lunch to buy some food. And they came back and they said, well, here's some food. And he says, uh, I have meat that you know not of. But they didn't understand. We'd have been the same way. They didn't understand what he was talking about. Uh, and they said, well, has somebody else brought him some food while we were out? He says, no, my, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his works. Why am I talking about this? Because I'm thinking about the love of the Lord to choose to become a man, to choose to live this way. And all it is is a great, the greatest picture of the love of God, the greatest demonstration of the love of God. To just keep reaching down, 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 even in becoming a man, down, 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 humbling himself, humbling himself, humbling himself, humbling himself to save no good sinners like us because he loves us, because he loves us. This was his choice. I wrote down a song. D, you can come on up. He willingly made himself of no reputation. We've heard this song. It's funny because I think Dee might have actually sung this Wednesday night at the altar. I'd already been printing these verses out. I just wanted to read some of the words of this song. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. So in thinking about all the almost technical things about Jesus coming uh, in the flesh, but not sinful flesh, and how he's 100% God and 100% man and all these things, it's important for us to realize in all this, he did it for us. There was no other reason that God would become flesh and dwell among us and suffer and die. So we're going to move into the next weeks talking about his ministry, what he did, and what he did for us and his coming. Y'all stand with me this morning.